Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Superbook Sports. A little Monday edition, getting ready for the playoffs. Arif, you had a nice conversation with Seattle Kraken's reporter, Kate Shefty, formerly of the Colorado Avalanche, right? Left here last year. Um, yeah, so just get into uh, the conversation a little bit for everybody. Lay it up for them. Put it on a tee. Let us know what you talked about. Yeah, Kate Shefty, formerly of the Colorado Gazette, obviously in her first full season with the Seattle Kraken, working for the Seattle Times. Uh, you know, this is something I want to do more of this year. It's getting reporters from the cities of the teams that the Avalanche face off against if they go past the, the first round. And, you know, what better way to start than with Kate Shefty? I mean, she's someone that we know. She's someone that sat next to me in the press box for a season. So, uh, you know, we're, we touched on a few things. Goaltending is one of them. Andre Burakovsky's health, uh, I'm sure everybody has seen by now that Kate tweeted out the day before the Avalanche Nashville game or the day of before the Avs even clinched the top spot in the Central that Berkey was going to not be ready for the beginning of the Avalanche Seattle series. And it sounds to me like he might not even play at all. He he missed the All-Star break or missed the All-Star game. He skipped it to be healthy. And then in the first game after the All-Star break, he played, I think, one or two shifts and then was out again. So he's played pretty much one shift in the entire calendar year of 2023. So uh, we we touch on Burakovsky. We touch on the depth that you, you and me and Peter talked about uh, on Sunday's show. Um, and then just the series in general, get a quick look at what the Avalanche got to do to win this series and what Seattle has to do to, to upset the Central Division champs. Of course, COVID and our lack of access to the locker rooms make this all different. But it's got to be so funny and just a... a, a peculiar situation to be in when you're covering a player in one city and doesn't matter which order, but you both end up in an, in a completely different city and you still have that relationship to go off of just a, a different setting and different scene around you. So uh, I'm excited to kind of hear her thoughts on, on yeah. covering, you know, Andre Burakovsky now in Seattle, kind of like Ryan Clark did with Jonas Donskoy, right? Jonas they Donskoy, both, then Philip Grubauer, Grubauer signed there. Right. Just a lot of guys, a lot of people went from Colorado to Seattle. Uh, obviously, unfortunately, Jonas Donskoy hasn't played all season and he's out. Uh, Burakovsky looks like he's out and Philip Grubauer looks like the Avalanche might want to get him out of the series by getting him pulled with a lot of goals. He's the lone guy to stand there and avenge and Ryan Clark's like an ESPN guy now. He's like, where's what's happening to our Colorado contingent? <laughs> right on. Well, uh, yeah, everybody enjoy Kate Shefty and uh, enjoy, I guess, the playoffs coming up right around the corner tomorrow. So, uh, yeah, thanks for hanging out with us. Here's Kate Shefty. It was, I believe, 300 and like 40 something days ago. It was April 28, 2022 was that last home game that the Avalanche had last season that you were there covering the Avalanche. I think I got on a flight to go home and visit my family before the playoffs. You shortly thereafter got on a flight, moved to Seattle to cover the Seattle crack. And obviously you went right into an offseason where Seattle was like a 60 something point team. Here we are, less than a year later. Game one is on Tuesday. You are flying into Denver here today on Monday. One year almost to the day, and the Seattle Kraken are in the playoffs and playing the Colorado Avalanche. Did you think this would happen? I am vibing. 
I cannot, <laughs> I cannot believe that this is happening right now. It has been a hell of a year and what a personal full circle moment. Um, I'm my flight leaves in like five hours and I'm just like, uh, I can't get over this. This is a wild. I can't believe I get to see you guys again after a, one month. Uh, last <laughs> time we, I guess I was in Denver was a month ago and the teams we kind of joked about maybe this was a possibility and then now here we are old team playing new team uh, no did not long when did answer no did not expect this and i'm just completely delighted yeah last weekend on sunday uh april eight or nine or whatever that day was the uh, or no actually no that was the anaheim game this past friday against nashville in the very final game you and i were texting as the avalanche <laughs> were taking a big lead and then blowing the big lead and then nathan mckinnon obviously ending it overtime and we were almost fans with the way we were texting because we're like don't blow this opportunity we gotta have an avalanche cracking series and here we are nathan mckinnon pulled through the seattle kraken almost caught the la kings but just barely you know kept a little bit of a divide between the two teams we have a one versus seven matchup the second the top wild card team and here we are we're talking to kate shefty of the seattle times for those of you that do remember her she obviously did cover the avalanche like we mentioned in the intro uh for numerous seasons and is very much aware and very in tune with this Avalanche team. Obviously, the guys at the top, the McKinnons, the Rantanins, the Landeskog, who is not playing, Makar, Taves, etc. But we're here to talk to you about the Seattle Kraken. We obviously had the Avalanche side covered with Peter Baugh and, and, and J.J. Jerez yesterday. And today so we're here did, to talk... Did, did you, though? Did you? I oh, mean... I it was okay. You know? It was okay. Look, we'll, we'll, we'll get you, we'll get some of your thoughts on the avalanche too. The takes were fine. They were cute. It was all right. Which you one, know. which one was your favorite? Was it where we basically gave Seattle no respect and like just basically guaranteed that they were going to lose? Or was it when we said they were a small team with no physicality? That was my favorite. And I, and we'll, <laughs> we'll name it. That was JJ. And uh, that was, that was a hoot. Uh, you got it. You got a text about that spicy take and uh, yeah, you all picked, Abs in five or six and yeah. um we shall see we <laughs> shall it'll know. it's it's going to be a fun one but that's basically where i want to start right off the top is the seattle crack and the abs played three times this year in october seattle came here defeated the abs three to two in burkowski's return the day that he got his stanley cup ring in january the avalanche came out to seattle i came out there to see you guys and the abs won in the shootout thanks to nathan mckinnon it was only two to one but it was on the second leg of a back-to-back -back. i think the one in october was the same and then several weeks ago seattle came to town again and i believe won three to two in overtime mm -hmm. so three one goal games from what i saw and obviously this was something that miko ran went out of his way today to kind of reiterate and remind us was like yeah, you know, Seattle does give us issues because Nathan McKinnon was very clear with like, this team gives us issues. They gave us issues and we're not going to take them lightly. And Miko Rantanen did mention that he also said regular season head-to-head uh, -head doesn't matter. You go into the playoffs, it's 0-0. Two of those games in the regular season, we were on the second leg of a back-to-back, -back, which obviously they won one of them. They went Vancouver to Seattle. Um, but let's start with that. This team plays the Avalanche well. What is the one thing or the, the several things that the Kraken can do to give the Avalanche a run and ultimately defeat the defending champs? Well, some one thing about the regular season series there, the road team won all three games. Yeah. And yesterday you guys were talking about how the abs on the road is a is a huge you know factor in their advantage. 
the Kraken are also much better on the road than they have been at home. And the Kraken are going to be on the road more than the Avs in this series. So we'll see whether that comes into play. Uh, but as far as what they, you know, you know, you, you, I hate, I, as much as I hate to admit it, you guys did have some good points yesterday that uh, this is a deep Kraken team. Their ability, they do not have a whole lot of stars. They have really, one might argue, no stars. They have a, they have a, a pre-star, a, a code, a star-coded Matty Beneers. And a couple, a couple veterans, you know, y- Yanni Gord, uh, J- Jordan Everly, who've been, who've been around, and uh, Jared McCann, who, you know, hasn't, has kind of been, oh yeah, that guy on a lot of teams that he's played on, but in, in the Kraken gave him a chance to really break out, and he has certainly done that, done so this season. But anyway, they are not a star-laden team, but they do have four lines that they can roll out and they create matchup problems for some teams. It, uh, you know, the cra- the, however, that is also the bread and butter of the abs. They maybe not be as deep as they were, say, last season or the, even this, even more so the season before, but they can do the same thing. And so that is one of the reasons why I imagine they match up really well together and, um, we will, you know, it, those three games were some of the, I'm obviously biased, but the, some of my favorite of the season, because they did, they were very tight, very intense, very fun games just to watch. And neither, you know, n- neither team gave any quarter to the other. It was just good, tight checking hockey. And they, it's, and a lot of speed, a yeah. lot of speed on both sides. That's, that's my favorite factor of the series is like, if the avalanche went up against the LA Kings, that's a smarter team, a more defensive minded team. They have speed, they have Kempe, they have a couple guys, but Seattle matches up with the avalanche in that speed department to make this a way more exciting series than the other alternative options. And, uh, I guess, it, yeah, it could have been the stars. I thought maybe, I thought that also would have been a very good uh, series for the Kraken. they, played the stars pretty well but this is this was you know this is this has had to be the one this is it this is this was this was faded no no arguments let's start with that let's start with the depth we talked about it with peter and jj yesterday the avalanche like you said they've lost some players i mean from 2021 to 2022 they lost i think it was brandon sod and Jonas donskoy from the forward group and we're like wow they're they're really missing a lot here and then the very next year they lose burakovsky and kadri and now you're going into this season, they're still two lines deep. They still have bodies, but it's not the same as it was even a year ago. Uh, your second line is looking like it's probably going to be JT Comfer with Nichushkin and Lekkinen. Your third line is one is what's going to be the big uh, wild card is how well does Lars Eller fit in in the playoffs? We talked about it yesterday. This is a playoff performer that is like, he was made to play in the playoffs. He ups his game every year in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Um, but he's also older and on the last leg of his career. So can he do what Darren Helmer Cogliano did last year? You're going to have him playing with likely new hook and Dennis Malgan on the other wing. Who's been a pleasant surprise, but the Seattle Kraken have a fourth liner with 20 goals. They have guys on every line that are scoring. Daniel Sprong is who I'm referencing. I will so, warn you though. He's not 100% healthy right now. He has missed the last two days of practice. So, uh, it, I will warn you. 
okay. about 90% of the avalanche <laughs> are not healthy right now. That's fair. They're, death death they're taxes and who are the Avs playing on the third line right now and who is, you know, going to be back in time for the playoffs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it is. The, it's, the more it things is, change, the more they stay the same. In those it's regards. wild. Like this year, for whatever reason, they upped, they upped it from 2020, 2021, 2022, 2023's injuries for the avalanches unlike anything i've seen especially how they came in waves and all at once there was that one game in november against you know the boston bruins 65 wins where their top line was alex newhook miko rantanen and charles hudon that's cute Wait, it was a great that? time Wait, charles charles hudon career ahler journeyman that they had to call up and play on the top line i'm gonna go ahead and tell you that i've never heard of this man but <laughs> exactly and that was the team that was the top line that they had against the Boston Bruins of all team because of the injuries. So Fun. yeah. So let's talk about that depth. Let's 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 hone in on that because you have guys like Daniel Sprong on the third and fourth line. Maybe. Maybe that have scored 20 goals. Yanni Gord plays on the third line. Bjorkstrand's mm-hmm. on the third line. I think Tanev is on the fourth line. Mm-hmm. On the Avalanche's third and fourth lines, they have some players like Logan O'Connor, career high. I think it was eight goals this year. I Andrew have healthy, Co- re- healthy respect for Logan O'Connor. Yeah, you covered a lot of that. him. You covered yeah. a lot of him <laughs> as well. I uh, Darren Helm has been in and out of the lineup. Cogliano, 10 goals. Uh, Dennis Malgin has been fun. 12 goals in the last 28 games of the season for some reason. Like there's no reason to explain it. Um, Obviously you have Lars Eller there at center. Who's kind of been iffy at times with the avalanche, but he's also a trade deadline acquisition. You expect him as a veteran and someone who's been around to up his game here in the playoffs. And then obviously Alex Newhook, who's had a little bit of a snake bit season ends the year with uh, 30 points. What can the Seattle Kraken's bottom six do? Because that's the difference to me is Seattle has goal scorers on every line. That the Kraken's third line is very, unlike the forever in flux abs third line, it seems is very solidified at this point. I was looking at the numbers earlier. They've been, they have uh, like, they've been together a while now and it, uh, Oliver Bjorkstrand uh, led the Columbus Blue Jackets in goals, I believe, the last three seasons. He is not who they expected to be. They they were expecting yeah. a top line winger out of him. He has struggled to consistently uh, put the puck in the net, which has been his bread and butter to his whole career up to this point. All season in Seattle, um, it's you know, and he, this isn't the role they envisioned for him, but it is. It has worked out. You know, it's it's everything's kind of fallen into place it's fine and um he has developed some very good chemistry with yanni gord who has is just does it all he's a a pest he's he plays an all he's he's a good shutdown veteran like everything like he's heart and soul guy alternate captain he's everything you you know you he he would be the captain if they weren't saving it for maddie veneers yeah. So they uh, probably, I don't know, no, no disrespect Jordan Everly, but that's what I suspect. Yeah. So that is, that's my take. But, and then on the other side, Ellie Tolvanen, who was a uh, waiver pickup from the Nashville Predators, that line and, and, or when he has rediscovered his scoring touch and become, you know, very effective and, and, uh, and deadly for them as well. So that line has been playing together for quite a while now. They are very good at what they do. They are a good shutdown line. They will be send. They will probably 
you know, be matched against some McKinnon Rantanen situation. If like Peter said, they split the two of them up yeah. then they have, then they have a fourth line centered her. It's been, a, that one's been a bit of a rotating cast of characters, Ryan Donato and, Ta- and Brandon Tanev, and then TBD on Daniel Sprong. But Daniel Sprong has made that fourth line very dangerous all season. He got kind of, he was in and out of the lineup the, uh, for a little while there. He isn't, he's, questions have followed him throughout his career of, as to his two-way yeah. abilities. He's a, but he's a, he's a goal scorer. Like that's what he does. He's got a heck of a shot and he has you put it to good use and he's been hot and he's made it so that they cannot take him out of the lineup. Bad shifts be damned. So he, that, yeah, the fourth line is you know can can score can and will score on you and Tanev has has put up some career best numbers as well uh it's they they the kraken are just deep they you know they're not you you can't just shut down their top line and call it a day they will can and will uh make you you know cost you a few goals here and there and it, they are good about if one line quiets down if Maddie Beniers has had some some quiet scoring stretches. He is a rookie, and that happens. And other lines have really kind of picked up the pace, and it, they're good about a different line doing it every night, which, you know, is I is another thing the ads are really good at. Yeah, so I want to actually touch on a couple of things because while you were talking about Bjorkstrand, <laughs> I looked up his stats. While you were talking about Sprong, I looked up his stats. And Dang, efficiency. This, yeah, so this is what you're talking about with – this team just being so deep from the very top of the lineup down on down is, is there any stars? No, like nothing really sticks out. Obviously Maddie Beneers is a future star in the making, uh, you know, a proud Michigan Wolverine alum go blue. Uh, always got to throw that in. Yeah. Uh, but like Jared McCann led the team in goals, 40 goals, 30 assists, 70 points. And that is an unbelievable season for Jared McCann standards. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not a Nathan McKinnon putting up 70 points and questioning why did McKinnon only have 70 points? So they don't really have that big star name, but mm-hmm. you look lower in the lineup. You were talking about, you know, Bjorkstrand isn't reaching the numbers and, and the role that they expected, which I agree with. And then you look at Bjorkstrand's numbers, 20 goals, 25 assists in 81 games. They expected more than that, but he still gave you 45 points. Mm -hmm. Daniel Sprong, fourth liner, 66 games. He plays 11 minutes and 25 seconds a game, 21 goals, 25 assists, 46 points. Like just crazy numbers. Yanni Gord, 48 points. Oh my God. I keep saying his name wrong. It's Yanni. Yanni Gord. Yanni Gord, 48 points. Alex Wenberg, 38 points. Brandon Tanev, 35. Uh, on defense, you have Schultz and Larson at 34 and 33. I purposely skipped over the guy at the top and Vince Dunn because we're going to talk about him in a second. Mm-hmm. Andre Burakovsky, somebody else that we'll mention here briefly, 39 points in 49 games, an old friend for the Avalanche here. Morgan Geeky, 28 points. Ellie Tolvanen, like you said, 27. Ryan Donato, 27. These are big numbers. Every single person I just listed had more points than Logan O'Connor. Mm-hmm. And that's a good player on the avalanche, you know, Uh, if 33 and 34 and 28 and 25 and all these numbers don't seem like a lot, Alex Newhook had 30. And that's a guy that's, you know, comfortably in your top nine. And I'm mentioning guys on the bottom line for the crack and that had more points than that. So it's, it's really crazy to see their depth. I think the only other player, and that's where I'll transition to the blue liner. The only other player other than Maddie Beniers that I could see turning into a star and like Peter said, which I do agree with, not on my ballot, but I do agree Vince Dunn will be getting some love for the Norris Trophy. 
how did this guy take off this year? Obviously, you can't compare him to last year. This is your first year in Seattle. But what has Vince Dunn brought to this team for the Kraken? You know, first of all, do you agree with my assessment from 10 tangents ago where I said uh, Jared McCann was kind of, you know, in Pittsburgh, you know, he was kind of like, oh, yeah, that Jared guy. McCann, that guy, Vancouver, That's, Florida, he Dunn, I would say by his own admission was kind of even a step below that he was on, uh, you know, kind of a five six D type role in St. Louis. And he, he was a bit player on there. Yeah. There are no bit players as the commercials like to tell us, but he was not certainly not a star on in St. Louis's cup run, but he got quite the opportunity in Seattle. And he, uh, he went this, he credits Brandon Tanev for um, taking him to like insisting that he joined him in his off season training in Toronto. And that kind of really put, I think put, you know, kind of, put him in a new headspace kind of really made him start thinking about what he wanted, you know, what he wanted, what he wanted to do, what he wanted to accomplish. And he uh, is, on, he, he has been on the top defensive pairing with Adam Larson since last season, last March, and they work very well together. They know each other very well at this point. They have not spent a game apart. They've not, I guess they haven't, I mean, you know, there's a stray shift every once in a while, but they have been started every game paired together for more than a year. And Larson and him really complement each other. They they say they communicate very well. And Larson really kind of holds it down while Dunn gets to kind of be the offensive minded guy that he is and gives him the freedom to do what he does. And especially in the second half of the season, he just started, he, he put, he had, he, set a record point streak for the Kraken and then later broke it. He has been Wild. extremely confident, very, they, they give him a lot of, uh, a lot of responsibilities. He's obviously a top guy on the power play. He plays, they both Dunn and Larson play very big minutes. He, you could just kind of see some, you could see the change, you know, like he, the, from five, six D who is, you know, playing, good you know above himself good job guy to like actual top dude and that is it's been you know it's kind of cool seeing all you know seeing the national media kind of start to take notice and start surrounding him and it's like he it's like he manifested it you know like the yeah. last summer he was like i'm gonna change things up and i'm gonna be that guy and he's that guy yeah, Vince Dunn is most famously known for the guy they took ahead of Tarasenko. What were they thinking? And this is exactly what they were thinking. He's he's a hell of a player and he's been he's been so great. It kind of reminds me of like Nate Schmidt in Washington when Vegas took him and he just took off. Obviously, he hasn't reached that next level or even Shea Theodore, who they took from Anaheim. There's always that blue liner that you could find on a team that's toiling on like a second or third pair that just needs an opportunity to kind of manifest like you were saying that next step. Um, obviously you, you had tweeted out on Friday before the game against the, that the avalanche had against Nashville, that Andre Burakovsky was going to be out and is going to miss the start of the series. What is your kind of prediction on that? Is that something that you think like, he's just not going to play? It doesn't seem like he's close to a return. I know he's been out. He only had like that one game for a couple shifts or whatever, since, since the all-star break after missing the all-star game to, to heal, which didn't happen. What's what's going on with Berkey? Do you think we'll see him in the series? Well, my colleague, uh, Jeff Baker, uh, 
talked to Ron Francis, who said that he underwent surgery for a lower body injury last Tuesday and is expected to need roughly six weeks for his recovery, oh. which will certainly put him out of the first. So there will be no Andre Burakovsky. Giannis Donskoy obviously has not played all season. That's the mm-hmm. other familiar name here, which brings me to the third name which I am very curious of your thoughts because I have not done a lot of research on him this year. I've not watched a lot of him, mm-hmm. but Philip Grubauer has started 36 games, 17, four and four. Obviously his backup Martin Jones took over for a big portion of the season when Grubauer was injured. And then even when he came back, but injured, Gruby, injured in Colorado. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. Uh, but Gruby's 36 games, 17, four and four. 895 safe percentage, zero shutouts. Is this is this the team defense? Is the goaltending not up to it? What's going on with Gruby and his numbers? Because that's the big question for me is if the Avalanche start to pile on the goals like they did last year against Connor Ingram and David Riddick and 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 both Martin Jones and Grubauer have their hands up, like what do we do? Then it's it's gonna be a quick series. But we know Gruby has more in him. We've seen it. What's yes. going on with him? I, you know, I, that's kind of what I quietly say to myself whenever I hear the argument that the only reason that Grubauer was any good was because he was behind that vaunted Colorado defense. And he was on that, you know, the uh, a Colorado team that was building towards becoming Stanley cup champion. And he, you know, with, without those pieces in front of him, he can't hang. And I'm like, I, you know, I've seen him hang. I've seen him play very well so have you and it independently of you know he's he stole games in Colorado on a regular basis that has not really happened that much in Seattle and it's not just Grubauer Jones's numbers are not a whole lot better goaltending as I keep phrasing it is not was not the story of the season in Seattle they there was a time in November where they were certainly outscoring their problems and they were just allowing way too much they're being way too loose on defense and just kind of hanging them out to dry and both Jones and Grubauer and there was certainly a time where their question was raised in Seattle can this team play well in front of Grubauer because Grubauer's record was deceptively bad for uh, like really even going into the all-star break they weren't giving him any goal support it seemed like every time Grubauer was put in net the team would just lay an egg it was really very strange and so everyone was like well do they just not trust Grubauer but then we come out of the all-star break and uh you know Jones was still the guy he was starting most of the games but then he kind of started to falter and Grubauer came in and he has started more than twice as many games since the all-star break as Jones and he has played quite well he's had a couple hiccups it's kind of a it's a bit of a question mark which one which version we will see whether it's the you know giving up some untimely bad goals and that kind of shoots the team's confidence like you know that Vegas series that in oh god 20, 2021 <laughs> there we go thank you you know we were there and uh, or is he the one that goes out and stands on his head because he's fully capable of it he yeah. we it's it, it can definitely happen and this is this is his time this is the top like you would think he would rise to this challenge and he gets another chance at the playoffs that was the last time he appeared in the playoffs uh and it is time will only tell you know which which version of grubauer that we see next week but we do we have seen him 
at, you know, seeing him turn it out, haven't we? Yeah. I mean, the big thing for Grubauer for me is because of the COVID shortened seasons in 2020 and in 2021, he didn't start 40 games in either season. So when Seattle signed him, they signed a guy similar to what the Avalanche got when they got Georgi or when they got Grubauer. Now even Georgiev, actually, it's a good a good example as well. This isn't a guy that has started 50, 60 games before, but you know, and he did last year in 2022, he started 54 games and he had an 889 save percentage. He's bumped it up to an 895 now. Like 895 is better than he was a year ago, which tells you how much worse he was a season ago in the Kraken were a lottery team. But a 26-year-old Philip Grubauer, for example, played 35 games, only won 15 of them, but had a 923. A 25-year-old Philip Grubauer played 24 games, only won 13 of them, but at a 926. So this year, he played 36. He only won 17 of them, but he's got an 895. So like you said, like this is something we've seen. I listed off uh, ages and seasons of him with the Capitals. I skipped over the Avalanche bunch where he was a 917, a 916, and a 922. So there's something there for him. I think the biggest thing for me is there is a little bit of a real human element to it to say like, this guy wants to play the Avalanche. It would be really nice for him to get a victory over them, to stick it to that team. Not that they, you know, did him wrong. Ron Francis offered him a whole bunch of money. He, you know, he saluted yeah. the avalanche and said, see you later. Like, obviously I'm going to go just like Darcy Kemper did. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just, it's a curious case with him. It's I, I, again, I hadn't done a lot of research on him, but I've heard a lot of his numbers. Obviously the Seattle goaltending I'd listened to, as you know, I'm a hockey nerd and I listened to a lot of radio shows and a lot of podcasts. And it was always when they talk about the crack and it was always their goaltending neither guy is above 900 and usually Martin Jones was the guy was, was the guy with the better numbers, but now looking at it, Grubauer has better numbers than Jones. He's got a 895 Jones is down to an 887, which is pretty damn impressive for someone who's 27, 17, 27, 13 and three, which again speaks to the depth of the Kraken and them outscoring their problems, especially early in the season when they were scoring a shitload of goals. Was there a nine goal game at one point? Was it against oh, LA? Yeah. Yeah. Was that the Phoenix? Not Phoenix Cup, the other guy, Cal Peterson. Nine, eight overtime. Well, they, LA switched goalies. Jones was in there, the whole thing. And our buddy, yeah. Andre Burakovsky, scored, uh, mercy killed that game in overtime. And it was one of the wildest experiences yeah. I have ever witnessed in person. I think we haven't seen Cal Peterson in the NHL since. <laughs> well, that was when he got sent down. That was you know that'll break a man i, yeah, I believe yeah. he can cry into his five million dollar paycheck it's okay i'd also like uh, to point out that you have zero problem with Yorgiev, but yanni is a problem how because yanni didn't play in denver oh okay yanni gord and the avalanche him when he was with tampa Bay. yeah but he was with tampa respect on his pronunciation yeah. man i loved i loved by the way when you were talking about him being like such a glue guy on the third line i'm like yeah, i've heard this before yanni and in, in, in a third line doing good things I, I didn't know he did that yeah. um but yeah that about wraps up the, the guys that i wanted to cover we kind of touched on jared mccann it's cool to see him scoring 40 goals that's a guy that for a 26-year-old to have already played eight years in the NHL seems like he should be 34 at this point because he's been around for forever, drafted by Vancouver, was part of that trade to Florida, then went to Pittsburgh and then came to Seattle, obviously, via Toronto in the expansion draft. Just a wild, wild, wild turn of events for where does that guy play now? Oh, it's Seattle. So um, It's just an absolutely unreal shooting percentage. Everyone yeah, keeps thinking 19%. it's going to 
yeah. Everyone keeps thinking all season. I heard that's that can't last. It did. It did. I mean, hey, he shot 13.6 last year, 15.1 the year before. So, like, what is it going to do? Drop from 40 goals to 34? I know. 33? Like, that's that's not a bad thing. And this is a guy that, for the first time in his career, put up more than 200 shots. He'd never done that before. So, Well, he's got some mad chemistry with his line mates. Uh, Another kind of fairly solid cracking line that you will see. Jordan Everly, who uh, could manufacture chemistry with... Uh, like a, a tree if he wanted to and then uh maddie veneers 20 year old rookie where'd he go to school again i forget university of michigan yeah and um those two years of michigan did him good uh he uh you know kept the the, the scoring pace uh, not he he had a debut with the kraken he got 10 games in last at the end of last season after michigan was eliminated from the ncaa mm-hmm. tournament and he has been he he uh was supposed to be their all-star but um was injured a couple games before and did not go and they uh so the kraken actually did not have an all-star but he really he did play like it he was he has he has grown a lot and he's not just you know an offensive guy he they he kills penalties he is like they trust him a lot and he has been very good and uh he's had his moments the second half of the season he kind of he slowed a little bit but at least offensively but he was doing everything else really well it's not like he was slacking it wasn't like a what you know what maddie veneers what total bust you know like no one was writing that he was just he went through some rookie stuff happens yeah. get it out of their system they move on. and he and he still ended with 24 goals 33 assists 57 points those are very very good numbers for a 20 year old and someone who's gonna he's gonna take off he's gonna be the star for this team they still have shane Wright in the system they've got a lot of guys coming but this is the number one guy at the top of the list is is maddie veneers uh this is going to be some kind of rude awakening for him to play the avalanche nathan mckinnon miko rain and you know kale mccarr seven game series it's going to be a lot of fun for him but it's going to be a big learning curve and you know, even in a losing effort, we saw Nathan McKinnon in 2014 in his first playoff appearance put up 10 points in seven games in a losing effort. It was still a learning curve for him, but he still got a lot out of it. And I could very easily see Matty Beneers do something like that because of the player he is. Um, I will end by saying this on Matty Beneers, and then we'll wrap up the show here. Uh, my all, my not all star, but my award ballot is due before puck drop. Well, all the award ballots are due before puck drop of the first game tonight. Uh, 7 p.m. Eastern time. I forget who starts the playoffs. One of the Eastern Conference teams. It's not Toronto Tampa. It's one of the other series. But the award ballot is due before that first puck drop for the NHL awards this year. And I have Maddie Beneers on two of my ballots, not just the Calder Trophy. So stay tuned to learn more about that. Um, I have not even started mine. So there. (laughs) Love that for you. I started last night uh, or two nights ago and I've just been Putting a lot of things together, I just have to read over it one more time, make sure I'm not stupid or put the wrong guy in. Uh, Congratulations, very... A-plus student, Michigan, <laughs> University of Michigan. That's yeah, where Matty Beneers learned his craft. Uh, the crazy thing about the NHL award ballot, the most like the high-pressured part of it, because this is my second year getting a, getting a ballot in, for the NHL awards, and if you're wrong on the ballot, they don't count it. And oh. then you get called out in an email. <laughs> that gets sent out to all the professional, no pressure, Kate, that gets sent out to all the professional hockey writers association. Like, um, you know, we sent out, let's say 200 ballots. We got back 194 of them. 
Uh, so six people did not hear the six names that didn't turn it in in time. And here are the two people that made a mistake. So we're not going to count it. Okay. So they'll put it all like they'll they'll list it all out. So last year in my rookie, my old rookie team, um, who was the big rookie defenseman last year? Why is it not coming to me? Okay, uh, I remember what year anything happened. Uh, Detroit, Morvid Cider. That's oh, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So I had Detroit's Morvid Cider as, as a defenseman on the all-rookie team. And then the second spot was blank. And I considered Bowen Byram, but I just couldn't do it because he didn't play a lot of games. And then I, I landed on Alexander Carrier from the Nashville Predators. He had a decent season. He played a lot of minutes with like Dante Fabro at times with Roman Yossi. He had a pretty good year last year. I don't even know what his numbers look like this year. I haven't checked. But he had a pretty good rookie season. And I put him on there and I submitted it. And then for the next four days, I had to sit there and think to myself, was Carrier a rookie or did I just make that up in my brain? And then I had to Google it and I realized he was. So double check your work, triple check your work. It is a very stressful thing to put in a ballot and I don't know, put the wrong person in the wrong spot. There's also, they're just where you play and where you put positions like Ryan Nugent Hopkins is a left winger. If you're going to put him on your old all-star team, he's not a center. Uh, So just some crazy things like that. But any closing thoughts from UK as we prepare for game one tomorrow night, ball arena, it's going to be so much fun. First of all, you fill out my ballot. Second, (laughs) what is the status on Kale McCarr? I keep reading different things. Tell me, tell me the truth, Eric. I'm holding you. Uh, he looked fine when he skated today. Okay, it sounded when Jared talked, it sounded like he will for sure play. And then when Chris McFarland talked today, he said, we hope. And like Josh Manson has already talked to me to hear it. He said, I'm going to be back for game one. And then Chris McFarland went out of his way today to say, yeah, we hope Manson and McCarr ready for game one. But he said it in a positive way that kind of made it sound like he, they're going to play. Um, basically, where we're at with the Avalanche is just remove that giant hall of number 92 who's not going to play this year obviously unfortunately for Landeskog. um everybody else is healthy the only person who likely won't play game one or two or won't be healthy is darren helm but chris mcfarland said you know he he went out of his way to even say it this way he said you know darren helm's working his way back from injury will we see him in game one or game two that's a question but he will play in the series so it sounds like everybody's ready to go except for darren helm because obviously we're gonna put Landeskog aside um by the time Darren Helm is ready, I'm sure there will be four injuries before game three. So we'll see how, we'll see how it goes because that's just the luck of the avalanche. Uh, and then on defense, this is the last thing I'll mention is, uh, and if you heard yesterday's episode, it was the same thing. The top five defense on this team, Jared calls them his horses on the blue line. The McCarr mm-hmm. Taves, the Byron Manson, the Sam Gerrard have not all played in the same game since November 4th. And this is a season that started on October 14th. It was the ninth game of the regular season for the Avalanche. It has been 73 games since all five of those guys have played in the same game. And with a healthy Kale McCarr and Josh Manson, all five of them are healthy. So is Eric Johnson. So is Jack Johnson. So for the first time since the ninth game of the year, the ads are going to have their actual defense all ready to go. Is that like a horses of the apocalypse reference? No, he's just my horses on the blue line as in the guys that play 20 something minutes. And then it's basically to say Eric Johnson's old and the number six, everybody else is a horse is ultimately Eric Johnson owns the horses. Everybody else is a horse is ultimately the way that I got it. Now that I say it out loud, I think it's the horse men of the apocalypse. (laughs) That doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. But And uh, my last thought is you're going to hear me rolling up uh, to Av's press row in a couple days 
singing. So what did I miss? What did I miss? I uh, brought her my home sweet home. I want to give you a kiss. <laughs> you miss take it, take uh, it, You on. miss. I I can't even no. pretend to know the words perfectly yeah, enough to sing. No, it. no I I know what you were singing. Okay. I was just gonna. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so proud of you for for, for yeah. knowing knowing a play. I, I'm cultured. Yeah, you are. <laughs> um, you didn't miss much. Just a Stanley Cup and a bunch of things like that. Nothing That's crazy. We don't even have to talk about it. Evan Evan Rodriguez. Evan Rodriguez is here now. Yeah, just it's it's a whole thing. We don't even got to get into it, but we'll wrap the show here. Kate, we're so happy to have you in Denver, um, probably for two games, maybe for a third game if it's not a sweep in either direction, um, which would be hilarious if like Seattle swept Colorado. I just couldn't couldn't fathom the idea of what would happen if that happened. Um, but we'll close it here. Game one, Tuesday night, 8 o'clock p.m. at Ball Arena. Game two on Thursday, games three and four, Saturday and Monday in Seattle. I can't wait for that trip to go back to that very rainy place that you live in now. Can't help it. <laughs> but we'll close it out here. If you made it this far in the podcast, bless your pretty, pretty little heart. This is the JJ line. If you made it in the podcast, made it this far in the podcast, bless your pretty little heart. There you go. Let's make hockey for everyone. And we out you.